Amen. Can we give it up for Jesus and what he's done in this community, in this city? Come on, you can do better than that. Come on, give it up for Jesus. He's good. Awesome. Oh, man, that's so beautiful. Um, thank you very much. That's great. That's the Holy Spirit right there. <laughs> First of all, let me say welcome to you. Look at the person beside you and say welcome. Look at the other person beside you and say welcome. So it's good to see you guys are so quiet and welcome, welcome, right? <laughs> it's so good that you're here and you have taken the time to gather with us as we turn two years old today. This is crazy. I, I just, I continue to, to have flashbacks of when Jordan and I moved to the city. We didn't know anyone. We had this crazy God dream to plant this Jesus-centered community in the heart of downtown didn't have a bunch of money or a bunch of people that came with us. We had a God-sized dream, and God has begun to cultivate a culture and a community that is impacting the city around us and ultimately the world as we pursue in Greensboro as it is in heaven. Jesus came. He came with a gospel. He came with what's called good news, and news is a reality. And God has called us and invited us into that reality. And so today, we get a chance to celebrate a risen King Jesus, but also cast vision for what we believe God is going to do in and through us over the next year and beyond. I could go on and on about all the things that God has done in the last year. A couple big ones to name a few. One, we launched an amazing coffee shop in the heart of downtown last November called Union Coffee Company. Hello. Come on, caffeine and Jesus. <laughs> and back in the spring, we purchased a house, which you saw in the video, the Yellow Door House, as we call it, in the heart of the Glenwood neighborhood, pursuing renewal and reconciliation, living amongst neighbors, incarnating into the community, and are seeing a ministry birthed out of that from Pastor Nikki. We've sent out students on missions trips. We've supported church plants. We have multiplied our discipleship groups. We have, uh, we have gone from 10 discipleship groups to 20 across the city pursuing obedience in the way of Jesus. And it has been a wild ride, and God is continuing to give us visions and dreams for what is ahead. I have a lot to say today. Just be prepared. All right? Some of you came hoping you get a shot. At $1,000, I understand, that's cool, that will come at the end, all right? <laughs> but I'll be honest, preparing for today was a little bit challenging. Um, preparing a, what I call a one-off, one message, when I feel like there's so many different directions that we could go, was kind of challenging. And so if you, if you feel like I'm a little all over the place today, just give me some grace. If you can, and just lock in as best as you possibly can. Also, let me celebrate this. We also have launched a college ministry called The Vine. Hello. Hello. Come on. Here's what's so cool about that. We had a gathering this past week, first gathering. Two people got saved. Eternal life, yes. Amazing. Two people got saved. That's, that's beautiful. So I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm excited. God's doing something. Also, did you know that every major revival that's happened across the world has started on a college campus? 
every major revival across the history of the world has started on a college campus. That's why we care about college students. Win the campus today, win the world tomorrow. It's Bill Bright, 1960s, Campus Crusade for Christ. That's why we care about students. That's why we give people opportunity to pour into students. I'm excited about that, so you can clap all quiet, but I'm pumped, all right? All right. So let's jump into the Bible. Let's jump into the scriptures. We're going to be in Romans today. Romans chapter 12. Any of you theology nerds, any of my Reformed brothers and sisters, get excited when I say Romans. Like, ah, yes, Romans, right? We have yet to dive into this theological work that is Romans. But today we're going to spend a couple of, t- a couple of verses, uh, some moments in a couple of verses. Romans chapter 12. Just two verses, verses 1 and 2. 1 and 2. It reads, therefore, which Paul uses a lot, by the way. He uses therefore a lot. And he also uses the next three words, I urge you. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. Paul uses this language over and over again. I urge you. I beseech you is what the King James says. I beseech you. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Lord Jesus, meet with us here this morning. Show up in a radical way as you already have, just continue to pour your spirit out on us. Not so that we could just be filled to have some kind of feeling, but that we could pour it out in every nook and cranny of our life as students, as teachers, as laborers, as accountants, as sales reps, social workers, nurses, whatever it may be. May your spirit and your presence and your power flow out of us in everyday life, where we live, where we work, and where we play. And Lord Jesus, we're praying today that the LA Rams start out 0-1. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. NFL is here, baby. Let the prayers start flowing, okay? (laughs) Some of y'all, he's praying for sports? Absolutely. That's right. I don't pray for sports, of course. You pray for crazy stuff, too. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, I told you all over the place, just get prepared. A couple months ago, we had a leadership team meeting, and I asked our lead team, I said, I want you to pair up with the person beside of you, and I want you to go off, and I want you to begin to think about where you see our community going in the next five years. Where do you see us in five years? What does that look like in five years? And so for about 15 to 20 minutes, they they broke off into groups. And I was fascinated with what they came back to share. Each group came back sharing about a direction, sharing about a trajectory, Sharing about a way of life, a way of community, a way of operating in this city. It wasn't an image. It wasn't just, well, we're going to have these programs and that program, and this is going to look a certain way. It was, this is our rhythm as a community. 
Better yet, it could, could be articulated a pattern. This is the pattern, the cultural pattern of our community that I see in the next five years. Every single group, without a shadow of a doubt, had the same kind of approach to vision. And when I read Romans 12 this week, I was struck by the word pattern. The word pattern stuck out to me in reading the text this week. And, and these, these couple of verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2, really Romans 12 especially, have been verses and a verse that has really just settled into my life as almost life verses or a life verse. I keep going back to Romans 12 too. I keep going back to Romans 12, 1 and 2 really. Other, translation, other translations just say conform to this world, but I was particularly struck by the NIV's use of pattern, the word pattern, and what that means for us as a community on Vision Sunday, what that means for us as a collective body. The word conform is a, a word that is connected to this idea of a schema in Greek. Schema is the word in the Greek. It comes from the derivative schema, which means to fashion oneself to. Or it's a way of living. Or more specifically, it has to do with patterns or habits that derive from something or someone else other than yourself. So where we get the idea of schema. If you've ever heard schema before, it's a, it's a Greek word that has to do with habits. Anybody have bad habits? Anybody here got bad habits? So I was looking at a list of bad habits last night. It's crazy. I'm a nail biter. Any nail biters in here? You don't. You could be honest. Yes, raise a hand. Come on. It's just how it goes. I don't know what it is, but you just start biting your nails. You know. My wife says that when she was a kid, she bit her toes. It's disgusting. <laughs> disgusting. And she was just set free a year ago. <laughs> I love you with all my heart. <laughs> Habits, things that we do that we just, ah, uh, just kind of impressed upon us. And I think something that has stood out to me is that our culture has habits. Our culture has patterns. And the habits are impressed upon us by the culture, and as a response to that impression, we begin to actualize those habits. We don't even know it. These habits start coming to fruition in our life, these patterns and these, this way of life. It starts to actualize in our everyday life because the culture has impressed upon us these habits or a schema. And for too long, the church in the West has modeled its patterns after the patterns of the world. For too long, the church in the West has modeled its patterns after the patterns of the world, sometimes in the name of Jesus to be relevant. We've modeled our patterns after the patterns of the world, sometimes in the name of Jesus, just so that we can be relevant. And instead of seeking first the kingdom of God, we are seeking assimilation into the larger culture. We look to appeal to the culture instead of renew the culture. 
Newsflash for everyone that the kingdom of light was never intended to appeal to the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of God was never meant to appeal to the world around us. It was meant to renew it. It was meant to make it new. The kingdom of God renews. It doesn't appeal. And for the longest time in the West, for the church, it has tried to appeal to the culture instead of renewing the culture. And as followers of the way of Jesus, we were never meant to assimilate into the culture, but permeate the culture from the inside out with a different pattern and a different set of habits and a different way of life as individuals and as a collective community. Permeate the culture from the inside out. A different set of habits, a different way of life. Not flirt with the culture, hoping it dates the church. As last I checked, the church already has a spouse, and his name is Jesus. The church don't need no man. The church got a man, and he's the king of the world. He's the king overall. He's the king of creation. And for the longest time, we as the church and as individuals in the church have flirted with the world in hopes that the world will date us. It's never meant to be the case. Jesus came saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Here is a new reality for you. You either hop on board or you don't. But the reality of the kingdom of God doesn't depend on your thought process, opinions, or ideology. Got to start preaching up in here, right? <laughs> also, a lot of us say, oh, the church is in decline. The church is in decline in the West. Listen, the church isn't in decline. It's just asleep in the center of a wide awake culture. The church never goes in decline, in case you wanted to know. The gates of Hades can't stop the church. It's been moving for centuries. Voltaire said centuries ago, the church and religion will be dead in a couple hundred years. Guess what? We're still here, baby. We're still here. Why? Because the church is moving and nothing can stop the church. Nothing can stop the move of the power of God, the move of the presence of God. But I do think that in this cultural moment in the West, the church is asleep in the center of a wide awake culture. Paul is saying not to conform to the world's way of life, not to fashion yourself to the way the world operates, thinks, or functions. If you operate, think, function, have habits like the world, we probably should have a conversation. And if you're here exploring the faith and you're like, I think my habits are like, I don't know, but I have friends that say they're believers, but they look a lot like me. I'm kind of confused. And I still would love to have a conversation with you as well because I'm sorry. On behalf of the body of Christ and of Jesus and the gospel and the power of the resurrection and the blood that he shed on the cross, I'm sorry. But that's why I need a savior. And that's why you do too. Because our habits are off. Our habits tend to be off. I believe that God is calling us as a community. Which, by the way, this message here in Romans was given to an entire church in Rome. 
entire church in Rome, which, by the way, was the most powerful, influential city and cultural capital in the world at the time. And Paul is giving this exhortation. I urge you, brothers and sisters. Can you just see the emotion in the text? I urge you, brothers and sisters. I beseech you. All my KJV lovers in the house. I beseech you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in response to God's mercy and his love that he's lavished on us, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not only for individuals, but for the entire culture and community. He is calling us to pursue, create, and adhere to a new pattern of life. Not the pattern of this world, but the pattern of the kingdom in a city where roughly 70% of the population doesn't know Jesus. Let that sink in. Almost 70% of the population in our city has no authentic relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords despite an invitation. Some of you in here today, you may be a part of that. You may have never accepted Jesus for various circumstances, whatever it may be, but I'll promise you this. He will chase you down with his love and grace to the moment you stop breathing. Looking at you, calling you to your true self and your true identity and wanting to call you a son and daughter and a beloved. He'll chase after you. And the Lord has called us as a community, as a united city, to pursue, create, and adhere to a new pattern of life. As individuals and as a larger community, as a church, we should have a pattern of life that revolves around not conforming, but transforming. You need to write that down in your notes if you're taking, because I know that you are. Thank you. The word conform has to do with external behaviors. It has to do with the outside. It has to do with external circumstances. It's the culture permeating us from the outside in. That's what conforming means. It's outside in. It's something or someone else permeating us, permeating us from the outside in. The word transform is internal. For us to be transformed is us permeating the culture from the inside out and from the inside of our souls out. You know, transformation is another word that has been radically sticking with me over the last year, especially doing ministry in a context with a bunch of millennials and college students. And in a, in a city, in a culture where there is this massive collide between the post-Christian right and the post-Christian left, from the liberals and the progressives going at one another in this volatile wrestle for reality, and yet both aren't walking in the narrow way of Jesus. This has been wrestling me recently, and I've been wrestling with it. Transformation. Rich Velotis says that Christianity is about the transformation of our, in all caps, entire lives. Entire means all, everything, every bit, 100%. Entire life. Your work, your play, your relationships, your money, your thought processes, your desire. Christianity is about the transformation of our entire lives. 
A.J. Sherrill says, the information is good, application is better, but transformation is best. And family, if there's one thing that I want for you that keeps me up at night, it's for you to be transformed. For you to experience the transformation of Christ in and through you. Dictionary.com defines transformation as a profound change in form from one stage to the next in the life of, in life history of an organism. It really has to do with uh, immature form into mature form. The Greek word is the word metamorpho. That might sound familiar for some of you. Metamorphosis is the English word. The Greek is metamorpho, metamorphosis. And either A, you are a byproduct in the 90s and you're thinking about Power Rangers. You know, it's morphing time. You know what I'm talking about? What's your favorite Power Ranger, by the way? What color? Red, blue. Some girls like pink, <laughs> yellow, <laughs> all right? No one says pink or yellow. It's always red, blue. Give some shout out to the ladies. Come on, pink, right? Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. It's Morphin Time. I love Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. The graphics were horrible, but I was intrigued. I was like, whoa. They look like dinosaurs, but they're people. It's crazy. Some of you are like in your mid to late 20s, and you're like having this flashback. And you're like, I'm going to go home this afternoon, not tell anyone, and I'm going to watch some YouTube videos of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. <laughs> So that might be you. Either A, you're thinking about Power Rangers, or B, you're a biology junkie and you're thinking about a caterpillar into a butterfly, or a tadpole into a frog. Metamorphosis. The word morph stresses the interior. Schema, as I mentioned earlier, stresses the exterior. Words mean so much. Language means so much here. Morph stresses the interior. Schema stresses the exterior. Transformation friends and family, is active. It is active in our life. It should be active in our life. And it happens from the inside out. Your heart begins to take a new form as the Lord molds you like a piece of clay. Takes a new form. He begins to mold it in the shape of a cross. Bent toward himself. But did you know that we don't transform ourselves? We can modify ourselves. But you cannot transform yourself. You are only transformed by the Spirit of God at work in you. What we can do, though, is we can reject the power and the working of the Holy Spirit in our life. We can go through our entire life with our head turned away towards the transforming power of the Spirit of God. But it is not us that transforms, but it is Christ in us that transforms. Dallas Willard, who is probably one of the greatest teachers on spiritual formation, he's a philosopher, theologian, many different titles, says that the aim of, your, of spiritual formation is not behavior modification, but the transformation of all those aspects of you and me where behavior comes from. It is circumcision of the heart. That is transformation. That 
is what it looks like to be formed. Transformation has to do with change. You know, change is inevitable. Change is all around us. Pretty soon we'll begin to see the, the leaves fall and begin to change colors. I'm excited for that season. Anybody like fall? Yes? You're like, that's how I know there's a God, fall. You know? We love the fall, especially in this area. Change is inevitable. Change happens all around us. Some of our bodies have changed over the last decade or two, right? Some of you remember that transition from middle school to high school, eighth grade and ninth grade. And you're like, whoa, what happened to her? Man, that is not eighth grade Kelly. That's ninth grade Kelly. What is going on? Wow. Men all of a sudden go from being twigs to kind of bulking up a little bit. You're like, whoa, are you 25? 14, you know? <laughs> Change is inevitable. You go from wearing a size 7 shoe to like an 11. I met someone the other day, seriously, I'm like, hey, man, what, like, what, what grade are you in college? Like, what, what school do you go to? Dude, I'm a freshman in high school. I'm like, what are we feeding these children in our culture around us, you know? It's crazy. Change is all around us. Even as a result of things like Hurricane Dorian, change happens all around us. It's inevitable, but it typically and most always is exterior. It is exterior change. Change is a natural biological process. However, it is most always only exterior change, only modification. However, change of the heart, friends, is a spiritual process, a process. Keep that in mind. It is a process. Transformation is an internal process. That is transformation. And I want us to be a changed community. I want you to be changed. I honestly, I'm bold enough. I walk up to you and say, look, bro, sis, I want you to be changed. And I hope you look back at me and say, dude, I hope you are changed as well. I want us to be a changed community seeking change and transformation in this city. That is my desire as we seek renewal and reconciliation. I want to give you the pattern of renewal. This is what I believe is the pattern of renewal. It's transformed people creating spaces for kingdom transformation. Pattern of renewal, transformed people creating spaces for kingdom transformation. You as a transformed person in your everyday life creating spaces for transformation. Gabe Lyons, who is the founder of uh, Q Conference and Q Ideas, has come up with what he calls the seven channels of cultural influence. The seven channels of cultural influence. And they are media, Business, government, arts and entertainment, education, the social sector or nonprofits, and the church. Seven channels of cultural influence. And I want us to be a community pursuing transformation in every area of cultural influence, in our city, in our region, and in our world. Transform people in these spaces, which all of us are in one of them, seeking transformation. 
living a life transformed and seeking spaces and creating spaces for transformation in every aspect of culture. And guess what? As a community, we've already entered into a couple of these. A lot of us in the West as churches, we just focus on that church channel in the culture. Oh, we got a massive church. We got all these programs. Uh, That's awesome. But, like, there's six other channels of cultural influence in and around us. Let's tap into those. That's one of the reasons why we stepped into the marketplace with Union. That's one of the reasons why we're launching a nonprofit in the Glenwood neighborhood and have, have more vision for other nonprofits in the future. Or creating, by the way, the video that was done was Nate Myers, who's sitting right here. Raise your hand, Nate. What's up, Nate? <laughs> Nate. Creating spaces for transformation in the realm of media, in the arts. Design, photography. We have so many creatives. We got more people volunteering on the creative team than city kids. It's crazy. Creatives in government as well. We, we got people who are in law school or have already graduated from law school who will be interacting in the government sector. Spaces for transformation. Transformed people. Come on. That gets me excited. That gets me pumped up. It gives me enthusiasm. I want the power and the presence of God to flow out of our lives into every sphere of the culture, renewing it day by day. Transform people, creating spaces for transformation. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first. Keep that in mind, first. Seek first. First, the kingdom of God. What are you seeking? If we had a one-on-one conversation, what are you seeking? What is it that you're living for? You and I are formed by what we seek. You and I are formed, shaped by what we seek. If it's success, if it's money, if it's power, if it's status, if it's identity, whatever it may be, platform, whatever it is, We are formed by what we seek, and Jesus gives us the key to formation. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first this new reality that I have come to give to you and unleash. John Tyson says, Christ not only saves us from sin, he also saves us for his mission of renewal and redemption so that the universe may be filled with the beauty of Christ. I want people experiencing the beauty of Christ in every sphere of your life because you are experiencing the beauty of Christ in your soul, in your heart, and in your mind. Romans 13 says this as I begin to kind of land the plane, which usually means it's another 20 minutes, but we're going to try our best. Romans 13, 11 through 12. I've been marinating in these couple verses as well. All summer long, we gather on Tuesday nights to have an intentional time of prayer, to 
pray for awakening, to pray for renewal, to pray for the city, to pray for one another, um, for the spirit to have his way. And this is a verse that stood out to me. It says, and do this understanding the present time. Key word, present, right now, in this moment. Present time. The hour has already come. Past tense. The hour's already come. It's not coming. The hour has come for you to wake up. The NASB says awaken. For you to awaken. The hour has already come for you to awaken from your slumber or from your sleep. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness. And here's a charge. Here's an imperative. Here is something we should step into and put on the armor of light. Let us pursue awakening for us to be awakened. I'm going to get the band to come up. We're going to get ready to, to kind of close out in a time of worship. But in 1729, a handful of students at Christ Church University at Oxford began gathering every single evening to pursue holiness, to pursue transformation. They took a vow to pursue transformation together. They took communion a couple times a week, and they fasted a couple times a week, and they gathered every single day. Some of their Counterparts in the university referred to them as the Holy Club. What a great name. Can you imagine the logo for that? The Holy Club, you know? We're going to change our name. Holy Club Community Church, you know? The Holy Club. It started by a guy named Charles Wesley. And Charles invited his brother John to come be a part of it. And over time, John kind of became the figurehead of the Holy Club. began creating seeds of transformation. Strict vow of holiness and transformation. They would serve the poor, go into the prisons. And then nine years later, after returning from America, on May the 24th, 1738, in Aldersgate, London, John Wesley had a moment Whereas he says his heart was strangely warmed. And he was awakened to the power of salvation. And that God has invited us to partner in his divine nature. He read that morning in 2 Peter 1, 4. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. London in the 18th century was in turmoil, already experiencing what it looks like to be a secular culture. Violence was rampant. Prostitution was rampant. the pursuit of holiness with this group of students, the seeds of awakening began, and a year later, in 1830, or about a year later, 1830, there were half a million Methodists across the world. 
because of the Wesleyan revival. John Wesley died in 1791, but the movement continued. Why? Because he had a moment of the presence of God. He had what's called a Kairos moment. It was the right time. It was an opportune time for John Wesley to experience transformation that shaped not only his life, but the entire world. or movements the world has ever known. I believe in our community, in our world, in our culture, we are sowing seeds for a third great awakening. The seeds that John Wesley planted were seeds that initiated the second great awakening in the 19th century where thousands of people came to know Christ Jesus. Awakening is simply whenever the presence of God, the Spirit of God, accelerates with a group of people. And I believe that we are sowing seeds for a great awakening in our city. But it started with a moment of transformation. And some of us in this space today, we are just a moment away from a movement. cultural climate doesn't have to look a certain way for the power and the presence of God to be unleashed. We don't have to wait for the culture to be right. The power and the presence of God can move in and sweep through a nation, sweep through a people whenever he wants. Matter of fact, if anything, there's been revival that happens across the world, typically in a period of darkness where the church is what we call in decline. No, no, the church is just asleep, but it's the power of a moment shapes a movement and for some of you in here you have never experienced that kind of moment maybe you have once time one time before I know for me there's just a couple of moments in my life that were Kairos moments where something shifted greatly inside of me that I walked away changed it was no longer this well I'm still struggling well I'm still struggling I'm still struggling. There was a conscience, a conscious obedience of transformation. My life did not look the same afterwards. For some of you, that Kairos moment is today. Where you will look back and you'll say on September the 8th, 2019, reality just stepped into mind. The kingdom of God just came in and just went after my soul, my heart something happened and God may want to use you to start a greater movement, a greater awakening of the power and the presence of God why are you missing out? but it all starts with seeking what are you seeking? Jeremiah chapter 29 13, not 11 says you will seek Moment. When you seek, 
moment when you find 